You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast, supported by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Wow. Well, Lizzie, here we are again for another Arrive for Liege Baston Liege this time. And, and how different that was from the last time we did an Arrive, Tour of Flanders, where there was like one moment in the whole race that decided the <laughs> whole thing to come and watch Liege Baston Liege. There'd be so much going on and see Demi Vollering crowned the Triple Arden champion, having won Amstel at the beginning of the race, then Flesh in the middle of the week, and then to finish it off with Liege Baston Liege. I have to ask you, Lizzie. On the waffleometer, how many waffles does that race get? Tell me. Oh, 10 out of 10 Liège waffles, that was. I mean, I was trying to write the moments of the monument and it was a very short one for Ronde van Vlaanderen and this was more like the trilogy of the monument. There was so much that happened today. So absolutely fantastic race today. If you haven't seen it, please do go and watch it. But we're going to summarise everything for you um, and pick out the best bits but that is pretty difficult because the whole thing was really thrilling Um, plots changing everything twisting and uh, the race getting turned on its head again and again very very good race today it was crazy was it very very good race very very good breakfast for you was it how many waffles did your waffleometer go to for your breakfast? That's the big question. Unfortunately, my waffleometer breakfast was only a two out of ten. But the I had Ooh. Liège, I had Liège waffles for breakfast this morning, made by my husband and my brother-in-law. Absolutely delicious. Um, I would say they they got a ten out of ten for performance of the waffles, but um, only a two out of ten in terms of numerical. You know, the number of waffles that I had on my plate, number two. So it was well. That gives them. They've got room to progress. I mean, if you'd actually eaten 10 waffles, um, (laughs) I think your return to racing might be a little delayed, mightn't it? Well, you did suggest that I should smother my waffles in chocolate and I went for the healthy option of strawberries. But very, very good waffles this morning for my breakfast. Well, the Liège Baston Liège was the chocolate on the top of the waffle today, wasn't it? It was really exciting. So let's find out a bit about... uh, what happened and it's called moment of the monument isn't it but moments many many moments of the monument that you're going to take us through lizzie roll off roll off well rose with the final race in the ardennes upon us and demi vollering's glass already half full with optimism the question on everybody's lips everyone (laughs) don't want anyone to miss that demi pun Uh, I was trying to be subtle. Uh, The question on everybody's (laughs) lips was, would she be able to take the triple crown? 135 riders started the 143 kilometres of unrelentingly hilly terrain between Bastogne and Liège. A new addition for this year's race was the climb of the Côte de Stocou, one kilometre at 13%. At 81 kilometres to go, it was poised to add some early spice, and that it did with a powerful break forging clear. Marlon Reusser of SD Works, Canyon Tram Racing's Cassia Nibiodoma, Amanda Spratt for Trek-Segafredo, Anna Henderson of Jumbo Visma, and Esme Pepperkamp of DSM broke clear and quickly gained a one-minute advantage. Movistar and FDJ Sewers were forced to chase behind, with Marta Cavalli providing much of the horsepower. 50 kilometres to go, an untimely rear puncture for Canyon Shram's Nibiodoma saw her slip from the brake to the peloton after taking a wheel from neutral service. Canyon Shram quickly reacting to start pulling to close the gap to the brake, which was now sitting at 25 seconds. The quartet hit the Cote de la Redoute, where Reusser rocked steady on the 16% slopes, upped the pace and turned the screw on her former companions, pushing out the gap to the peloton and leaving Spratt and Peppercamp dangling between. 
In the peloton behind, world champion Van Vluten forced the pace as the cream of the climbers now rose to the top of the La Redoute. As the size of the peloton ebbed and flowed with the fall and the rise of the roads, the lack of cohesion saw Royce's gap go out to 1.35. Spratt still stuck firmly in the gap between, meant Trek Segafredo was sitting pretty with numbers in the peloton behind. 23 kilometres to go and Lippert took action and launched an attack so hard that she promptly dropped herself. But with teammate Van Vluten making the cut and driving the pace, the gap began to tumble as Spratt came in sight and was quickly reabsorbed. Onto the fast descent and the group swelled once again as Trek Segafredo took the race by the horns and on the run into the decisive Cote de la Rocha for Kong, Spratt and Van Anroy with Longo Borghini on their wheels set an infernal pace, gapping all but Elise, Elise Shabby and depositing Longo Borghini into the pace of the climb with a gap on the peloton and crucially demi following. The gap to Reuter had now tumbled to 30 seconds at the base of the climb. Longo Borghini further shattered the gap to 20 seconds halfway up, with the remains of the peloton in tatters behind. Shabby was glued to the wheel of Longo Borghini, whilst following emerged from the pack and steadily closed to the gap to the chasing duo. Over the top now and Royce seemingly caught, she went once again with Longo Borghini making it across and no reaction behind. Van Vluten, Shabby, Raolini and Marcus now behind, with Vollering timing her jump to perfection to make it across to the leading pair of Reuser and Longo Borghini. The SD Works riders traded places as Vollering went straight to the front to drive the pace and Reuser could no longer hold the pace. Behind, with Van Vluten still doing the lion's share of the work, the gap went out and was at 27 seconds with 1.7 kilometres to go. A cagey two-up sprint saw Vollering force Longo Borghini to the front and she launched her sprint for a hard-fought demolition to take the win in Liège-Bastogne-Liège and the prestigious Triple Crown. The second female rider to do so after her coach and sports director Van der Breggen did it in 2017. Van Vluten opened the sprint behind but with Shabby and Marcus fanning across the road it was Reuser who came from behind to take the third spot on the podium. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Well, 10 out of 10 on the waffleometer for your uh, fantastic puns there, Lizzie. I could not even <laughs> keep up. Like Cavalli horsepower. I don't know. Um, demolition. I mean, I, don't, I, I have to say that wasn't actually mine. That was my brother-in-law, so I have to give credit to. <laughs> I can't even take the credit for the pun there, but but it was a it was a remarkable demolition that she performed this week, wasn't it? And um, I think much of it was definitely down to to Marlon Royster, both both in this race and and in well, particularly in Flesh Wallon, actually on Wednesday. Well, it's true. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think we were making a lot earlier in the season about. Demi Vollering and Lottie Kopecky and how both of those riders being at um, SD Works, how they could play together and basically, you know, go for the wins uh, throughout the season. But actually, it is more that Marlon Reusser and Demi Vollering as a duo, uh, that you know, that's the key to the success. It's definitely the key to Demi Vollering's success. I mean, I was having a little look at, you know, which races they were in and uh, Marlon Reuter was in all of the Belgian classics that Vollering um, had done, except Amstel. If I mean, although that's not Belgian, so I kind of carefully sidestepped that little pitfall there. <laughs> Very clever. Um, Very clever. And, and uh, of course, then Marlon Reuter also got a win for herself at uh, Gent-Vevelgem uh, on top of that. So, I mean, I guess, Lizzie, what is it that makes 
Marlon Royce uh, so key to Demi Vollering's success because th- there is kind of a Venn diagram there where they both have this ability to put out a sustained amount of power, don't they? But then, you know, Royce is more of a time trialist, although Vollering can time trial, as we saw in the women's tour, didn't we, um, a few years back. Uh, and, of course, Demi Vollering is better on a longer uh, uh, climb. But, you know, what is it that makes those two such a powerful duo? Well, it's partly just about numbers, isn't it? And my, I think the thing is that, you know, especially with these races in the Ardennes, you often think about, well, you know, the, the sort of the pure climbers, but a rider like Marlon Reuser has such a high power that we saw her performance on the Cote de la Redoute. She just, she just simply dropped everybody else, including Amanda Spratt, who is one of the best climbers in the world. Um, and and having a rider like that who can um, force brakes, who can bring things back, uh, who is always there. I mean, we we saw that you know she was still able to sprint to third in the end of the race after having been out for eighty kilometers really, um, and solo for about thirty kilometers. You know, she was still able to sprint to third despite being gasping for water. We also saw her about eight kilometers to go, go to neutral service and say, "Please, can I have some water?" And you know, not realizing, of course, she was within the the twenty kilometers where you you can't take it without a penalty um and she is so strong that they've always got another option so if she's up the road demi vollering doesn't have to doesn't have to move one bit she just has to follow she doesn't have to do any extra work um whereas canyon tram trek segafredo will were all having to put in a lot of effort with various riders all having to do attacks all demi vollering had to do is follow and you know, of course, she still had to make that move on the Cote de la Roche for Con to get over to Longo Borghini and Royce uh, and Shabby. But she wasn't having to expend any energy otherwise. And so if you're in the position where you not only have numbers, but those numbers are incredibly strong, um, then that's how you become unbeatable. And that's always been SD Works's key to success. Numbers who can win the race. You know, I, I have to say, I I really thought... Royce had this tied up. I thought... So did I. So did I. Yeah. I, I nearly texted you saying like, oh, sigh, Marlon's going to re- win the race. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you say sigh, Marlon's so actually got your I didn't. Not, not, I mean, I, I, Marlon Royce is great. I, you know, I really, I love her. I respect her. She's a friend as well as a colleague. Um, but I kind of thought like, oh, that's, that's it. Race over. And from mm. a kind of, from a, from a viewer perspective, wanting entertainment, I thought, oh, that's it. Um, I thought there'll be a lack of cohesion in this group behind and she's just got it tied up because she is just, she's like a train, basically. Um, well, I mean, she's but, like, I mean, when I was looking at her when she's right, I mean, she was, today she was like, almost like a swimmer, wasn't she? She has these kind of like broad shoulders, but she kind of yeah. cuts through the air. I mean, she kind of glides through she, and she doesn't look like, I mean, she did, like you mentioned, Lizzie, I did think, um, as much as I thought that she was going to win, especially when she had kind of one minute and 40 uh, was it? And it seemed that um, she made up kind of 25 seconds on Laradou on its own. And that yep. was including the fact that the peloton behind were coming in on a, a descent run in uh, onto the climb. So they would have been, you know, uh, catching her up yeah, very it's, quickly it's at a, that point. It's one and of the yet, hardest parts of the race in the peloton. There's a lead out into into that yeah. climb and the peloton is going so fast and they only had four riders coming in. So the speed differential between the peloton and her would have been much higher. And so even having that and for her to be extending her lead and she was just riding people. It's not like she, you know, she was uh, doing sudden acceleration. She just rode um, 
Amanda First Spratt Henderson, the then Pepper Camp, yeah. then Spratt, all of them, one by one, they just dropped like flies. And, you know, it was 45 seconds she put into Spratt over the Cote de la Redoute. It was incredibly impressive. And I, and I saw that and I just thought, you know, how are they going to bring her back? And in, even if they do, well, Vollering will be there and she would attack, she would attack over the top. So um, it really seemed like Royza had it tied up, but actually it ended up really very different. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. We should talk about that move um, from Vollering um, because we had, uh, well, Marlon Royce was out ahead. She kind of got brought back and then she went again with Elisa Longo Borghini and then Vollering uh, jumped across. Do you think there was a, a bit of a team uh, discussion there? I mean, obviously we saw Royce as she was kind of going to neutral service a few times, putting her hand up a few times. Um, as much as she looked so comfortable and in control, there was obviously she felt like she hadn't fueled enough or needed water. Um, do you think that Marlon Royce had said to the team, I don't think I've got this when she was with Longo Borghini and that's why Vollering jumped across at that point? Because obviously normally you wouldn't have a, a teammate jumping across, um, you know, when uh, their teammate is ahead like that. Well, so there's a few things there. So she, she'd called up neutral service and must have been maybe maybe 25 kilometers to go, maybe before. And, and she wanted her team car um, because neutral service, they, they have bottles and things, um, but they don't have the team bottles. So she got her team car to come up at a point where um, they can pass the peloton and they can still get to her. She could get her team bottles with her team specific carbohydrate drink, her team gels. Um, obviously, we don't know what was said at that point. But I think actually, the real reason wasn't really Royce's fading. But it was the reaction from the bunch behind it was Lippert who really kicked things off. um, Because the reason I thought she was going to stay away was because over the Cote de la Redoute, Van Vluten had driven the bunch Van Vluten and Shabby actually, and it had really come down to sort of six riders. And I thought, well, at this point, there's basically one from each team, and there's not going to be any cohesion. But as the road sort of went downhill and back up again, the group swelled to the point where Canyon, Trek, a number of teams had a number of riders. Um, and there was a bit of cohesion and there were attacks. And and then as they hit the next climbs, the pace really went up. And it was when Lippert sort of started the attacks and then Van Vluten continued that on. That's when things started to drop. And once Trek Segafredo took over, then the pace really dropped. So I think that um, at that point, it began to be inevitable that she would get caught. And so she basically, her job at that point was to basically get as far up the climb of uh, the Cote de la Rocha for Connor as she possibly could, so that if Demi Vollering could get over to her, she could help her for as long as possible before dropping off. And I guess ideally Demi would go solo to the line. Um, but what actually happened was we ended up with a duo with Reuser and Longo Borghini ahead. Um, Vollering was able to bridge a small gap. Marlon Reuser then drove that for a, you know, a few seconds, basically, which was all she could before Vollering went through to the front and then drove those two to the finish. So in the end, it worked out as tactically as perfectly as it could for them. Um, it was the perfect point of the climb. You know, you see on, on the TV that it says that the Cote de la Roche of Racon has sort of, you've reached the top of the climb, but it's not the top of the climb at all. There's a little, a very little dip and then it continues to drag up um, and then it gets steeper and steeper. It's sort of like a concrete road which saps all of the energy from you. And there are so often attacks at that point because you've gone up this really steep climb. You've used everything that you can. You're 130 kilometers deep into the race. It's often a crosswind across there 
as well, although I think today it was a tailwind. Um, and that is the moment that if anybody's got anything left, you have to go. You know, when, when everybody is on the limit and when you think you can't go anymore, that's the moment that you have to attack because everybody else thinks that as well. Um, and that's what's vol- what Vollering did. And uh, she got across to Reuser and Longo Borghini and Shabby Van Vluten, uh, Raelini behind couldn't they couldn't do anything and we should have give a few more words obviously to the winner to Demi Volo we're going to talk about a little bit later about you know what the other teams could have done or you know how else they could have approached it but it is one of those things that if you'd seen uh, the result on paper um, and it said Demi Vollering won then you'd be like oh well that was just totally inevitable wasn't it but mm-hmm. it, it didn't feel like in the rate that like it didn't feel like that in the race did it but I mean, Demi Vollering has been on such phenomenal uh, form. I mean, of the eight starts that she's made to races, she's done got now five victories, uh, two second places, one of those being second place to Lottie Kopecky, her teammate uh, in the Ronde van Vlaanderen. And uh, the other one was a 17th in Omloop. But again, that's, you know, she was in a large group behind um, Lottie Kopecky, again, uh, her, yeah, teammate. her teammate. Had so... Won. Mm. The, I mean, her results this season have been incredible. And, you know, coming in with all of that pressure today, because she had a huge amount of pressure, everyone was not looking just at SD Works to win, but they were looking at Vollering to win, weren't they, really? Yeah, they were. But I, I also, you know, it's interesting you say that because I almost wrote in the moments of the monument, Demi Vollering's inevitable win, but it, it really wasn't inevitable at all if you watched what happened in the race. And I also think what's interesting looking back at her uh, series of well there's no other word for it than phenomenal results outstanding results is that the dynamic in the race has really in the races have really changed a lot because you know there was a point you know, SD Works have won a lot this season they've won a lot more than anybody else and there was a point where we kind of thought well I, at Ronde van Vlaanderen we were saying you know who else is going to win is anybody going to take it to SD Works why aren't the peloton reacting um, perhaps Canyon Tram have chosen the wrong leader all of these things well clearly what we learned is that the peloton have been listening to us Rose because <laughs> yes <laughs> after that they really seemed to rise to the occasion um, and perhaps it was the nature of the races you know we had races like Brabant Supply and then of course we came into the Ardennes and all of these it it suddenly became much more attacking Roubaix of course as well and I don't know if if directors and riders woke up to the fact that they needed to do something about it or or whether it was just the nature of the terrain and the types of races but the wins have got harder I feel um I think the the wins that SD Works had at the beginning of the season were sort of like easier wins not not expected particularly maybe um but it's got harder and the races have got much more unpredictable and yes Demi Vollering and SD Works are still winning and Demi Vollering has obviously won the last three world tour races but it hasn't been inevitable and the gap is closing and I think that is what's really interesting so they do have this incredibly strong team which allows them and you know of course one killer rider um but that gap is closing and that's what gives me a lot of interest you know for the races coming up and of course you know just for the race that we just watched as well it was it was a demolition but it was a very very good one <laughs> a very interesting one an exciting one getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing a one of a kind ring that you design at blue nile can help your love sparkle just choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. 
Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, we actually haven't given too much lip service to Elisa Longo-Borghini, who came second. And uh, I feel like, you know, I would have said that she has had a really kind of quiet uh, spring so far. But actually looking at it, a third in Tour of Flanders and a second in Liège-Bastogne-Liège. I mean, obviously, she's a great champion and would be expecting wins but actually that's not not too bad but you know Lizzie we were kind of both watching it I felt like uh when Vollering and Longo Borghini were off on their own at Liège-Bastogne-Liège that it was a done deal that Vollering was certain to win but you you kind of thought differently didn't you? Yeah I think in the beginning so once Vollering had come over to Longo Borghini and Rosa, Rosa then got dropped and went back to the small group behind in the beginning Longo Borghini wasn't coming through. And I thought, yeah, absolutely, doing the right thing. Why would you come through? Vollering wants to win this. She's got a teammate behind who's tired, um, who at that point may not have even made it over the climb with that group. She's doing absolutely the right thing. Clearly, once the gap uh, for Longo Borghini and Vollering had grown a little bit, she felt a little bit more secure that she should be working. But I felt quite strongly that she shouldn't be working. of course, there was a risk that the group would come back and somebody would attack her. She had Raelini in the group behind and mm, could Raelini have launched an attack? Obviously, she's a phenomenal climber, but can she do something like that on a flat or a downhill? You, you, I don't want to say no because we haven't seen it yet, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put my money on it, let's say. I but I mean, she does, I mean, Raelini, yeah, I mean, she's very much a climber, but she does have great... Uh, and I always think that you never see her all race. And then right at the end, she seems to have this fantastic amount of energy. She really paces her She's efforts. She's got good tactical nerves so well. as well, hasn't she? Yeah, really good she tactical really does. Nerves. She knows where to be and when to be there. And that is really, really important and exactly when to make the move, like a Swiss clock. Um, and so that is important, but I don't think that... She, you know, she she wasn't the right rider to to launch a sort of a Grace Brown or Lizzie Dagnan no. attack on the downhill. You know, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but having said that, kind of, what did Longo Borghini have to lose? I mean, of course, she had the second place to lose, but I I think that Demi Vollering had so much more to lose that it was unlikely that Vollering wouldn't have kept working you know when Mm. Longo Borghini didn't come through Vollering didn't kind of say well I'm not going to work if you're not going to work she still was working on the front and once you get to the top of that climb you sort of you go down a little straight road you go through the university and then there's a long downhill into Liège and it's very fast and if you're on the wheel you're doing absolutely nothing and it seems to me like Longo Borghini was actually doing more work on the front than Vollering and I texted you with seven, five or seven K to go saying, like, what is she doing? Why is she working? And you completely agreed. Um, and she wasn't able to, you know, the only other thing is if she could have forced Vollering into the first position in the sprint, which she wasn't able to, you know, Vollering really forced her so that she was on the barriers, on the front. And actually when Longo Borghini launched her sprint with 200 meters to go, they were, they, you know, Vollering didn't even come behind from behind. It was just a two up drag sprint um and and Vollering had more power I do think that Longo Borghini has got better in the sprints but Vollering's got such a strong kick that well we saw it didn't we at the the women's tour but that was a surprise when she she came to sprint to take the overall uh was that last year god the years go so that was the end of uh (laughs) oh gosh yeah last year (laughs) 
last year. Yeah, that was last, <laughs> yeah, it was year. last year. Yeah, and um, Longo Borghini the came through to take that that bonus second on the line. Yeah, but that but that was a real surprise. Her sprint there, and a lot and, of that and, was due to to positioning as well. Her her track second yeah. team had done such a good job of positioning her in the run into a technical finale, and this was really a you know a very straight sprint, um, mano a mano, womano a womano. And, um, yeah, it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion, really, once they came in into the finish line together. It wasn't really cat and mouse, was it? It was like mouse and mouse until, as you said, Lizzie, like, <laughs> like literally about 150 metres to go before they they uh, they uh, kicked it off there. But we had seen, I mean, the only real time, actually, this season where we've seen uh, Demi Vollering be beaten was by Sylvia Persico mm. in Brabant Chappelle. And in that, Sylvia Persico waited for Demi Vollering to open up her sprint mm-hmm. and then came round her right at the last last moment. And I felt that Lisa Longo-Borghini was trying to get Vollering to go, but they were just, you know, playing chicken for far too long and then she felt that she needed uh, to go. And, and you know, but I guess at, at that point, you, you, you've got no choice, do you? I mean, you, you can't literally make it a 10-metre sprint or can you i don't know oh yeah that's would a good, she have won a 10 a meter sprint question, actually that is a good question because for the in the very first part of the sprint in the initiation you know uh sorry longo borghini was still ahead so yeah do you do you wait and then just do a really short one but um maybe she felt that if if Vollering went first then you know she wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna win if Vollering had gone first from the front perhaps perhaps she'd have had a chance um but if they go from side by side or if Longo Borghini goes from the front I think that yeah it's very 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 unlikely and you know throwing back to Sylvia Persco at Brabant Sapile that's a rider who we know has a very very good kick mm. you know on the flat cyclocross rider yeah yeah you know that's that's yeah. a rider who you know if you put them side by side on on you know top trumps cards you wouldn't be sure who would win um mm. but you know we we know from from prior experience that yeah, Dummy Vollering does have the edge on Longo Borghini. So I felt that that really she should have been sitting on more. Um, she said in her post-race interview that, well, she said first that she was a little bit disappointed in the finish, but then she said that she was actually very pleased with the execution of the team overall. They executed it exactly mm. as they'd planned with their DS Ina Teutenberg. Um, they put Amanda Spratt in the early break. Um, and they they really, I think the thing that they executed it incredibly well was this team performance where they um, shattered the race at about 17 kilometers to go. They went on the front and they absolutely drilled it. And um, they delivered Elisa Longo-Borghini into the base of this critical climb with a gap on Demi Vollering so the pressure was on the opponent there in order to to close that gap and I think that was you know that was really some tactical master masterpiece and masterclass um and tactical you know sorry and a masterclass of teamwork as well it was really a full team job so yeah I don't know I guess I guess the odds were against her in the final and you know they were kind of betting on getting the second place with a chance of getting the first rather than if you don't work then there's a chance of getting absolutely nothing so uh, it's a hard one but I was surprised that she was working but I mean it was amazing uh, performance like you touched on there Lizzie from Trek wasn't it I mean it was very different to the kind of approach that we've seen uh, the rest of the season and it was interesting to me um, seeing all of the Trek riders at the front there I mean we had Shirin Van Anroy 
um, uh, Raylini, uh, we had Longo Borghini, we had, of course, Amanda Spratt continuing to do work even after she'd been caught by the... She was in the break and even after she was caught, she was doing uh, work to kind of reel Marlon Royce back in. Um, it was a great team performance um, from that perspective. And it was interesting because I, I saw them getting a little bit frustrated that other teams weren't coming mm. in... Uh, with them to try and help that effort. There was a lot of kind of arms flinging, uh, looking around, looking behind them, wondering where everyone else uh, was. But it is kind of on a team like Trek. You know, when SD Works have the race uh, under control, it is kind of, it's only up to Trek Segafredo, isn't it, from looking at the other teams uh, to, you know, step up to the plate and, and make the make the work there? Yeah, Trek Segafredo definitely had the strongest team. And, and, you know, of course, their previous best team in the world. A lot of teams will look to them. Canyon Shram, I would say, are the other team that could have taken it up. And I, I, I can't just say could have taken it up because they did take it up. Um, I think they were very unfortunate. They they'd put Neviodoma or Neviodoma had gone in the break, whether they'd put her there or whether she'd gone in the break. Because, of course, this this new climb of the Cote de Stocco, it was... Uh, one kilometre at 13%. So whatever break had gone on that climb has got to be a very strong break, a break that can, you know, it's going to be a break that can survive the climbs because of course it's been forged on one of the hardest climbs. Um, and so they were in an excellent position. They had Shabby behind, they had Ricarda Bauenfeind who actually has, you know, I think we'll talk more about her in the monthly podcast. She's been having a phenomenal mm. season, an amazing ride at Flesh on actually. Um, and, you know, Shabby's been looking really, really good. She's been there. She's been there, but not quite able to finish it off. And maybe this was going to be her day. Um, and it was a really badly timed puncture for Nevia Doma that saw her come out of that front group. And they did have numbers coming into the Cote de la Roche for Con. They had um, Paladin, they had Nevia Doma, Bauenfeind and um, Shabby. But they weren't pulling in the same way that Trek Segafredo was. So I can understand the frustration there. Um, but they had done a lot of attacking. They had done, I don't know, I think they'd I think they'd done their part in the race and I think they were saying, well, it's somebody else's job. So I do understand that. Um, and in the end, you know, they ended up profiting off this move that, that Trek Segafredo did because at least Shabe was the only other rider to to get ahead with Longo Borghini into the base of the Rocha Foucault. Um, Yumbo Visma potentially they could have done some more work because they did have numbers there and they were working for Rihanna Marcus they could have sent more riders to the front there were points where they sent a rider to the front but it didn't really sort of you know the chase didn't last very long but you know really the reality of it is if you've got a rider like Royster ahead you've got to have a blimmin strong rider chasing behind and a number mm. of strong riders chasing behind and pulling off in order to actually make any inroads otherwise it's you know the European time trial champion versus anybody else and you just you're not going to close that gap so yeah I well let's I, hear from one of those strong riders that that did actually you know make it right right to the finish and you got a voice note from her didn't you Lizzie um after they said that's Elise Shabby hey Lizzie I hope it's not too late uh, just see your message now um yeah I mean it's such a shame for Kasia because uh yeah in this break she was uh really in a good position and yeah then she had this puncture and yeah then we had to some riders to chase uh, I had some really good legs so yeah I, um, I was feeling good also on uh, on La Redoute and um, then I was like okay I need to keep fighting in La Roche because I think I can be among the best and in La Roche uh, yeah it's just such a shame because uh, Demi opened the gap on Elisa in the kind of downhill and um, 
yeah then uh, the gap was there and then Demi just attacked and, and jumped and yeah, it was hard to follow her and yeah I, I stick to Anemic and yeah we were close but not close enough so a bit frustrating and also this sprint for, for the third place I'm really disappointed I missed that but uh, yeah I mean I, <coughs> I asked Marlon to, to lead out for me but she didn't want to so yeah sad <laughs> next time I think we need to keep fighting with the team we have a really strong team at the moment and we yeah i think we really deserve it so yeah let's keep fighting well that was a quite disappointed elise shabby as you can hear um and she you know she finished just off the podium again in fifth after a fourth place in brabanza pile after a very attacking race a disappointed elise shabby but not a disappointing one um a very good race from her but just missing it right at the end which which will be gutting after after a top 10 in flesh wall on as well actually but it is great also to see kenan sram putting a bit more faith in her perhaps mm-hmm. or you know moving their tactics around a little bit because it used to be kind of it's cash and evidoma or bust wasn't it yeah uh, and now yeah. it's quite clear like that they are using uh shabby as an as another option to get the win, actually. And actually, a, probably a more viable option now, to be honest, um, than Cachanivia Doma. I told you they've been listening to our podcast. This is exactly what we said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think that, um, like I said before, before about Ricarda Baunfeind, she is so strong, you know, in Flesh Ballon. Don't want to go back to that race again, but in that race, she was in the break, she was chasing, and yet still she was there. And, you know, really good finish right at the end as well. And so I think if they can utilize Nevia Doma in a different way to how they have done previously, like they did in this race, I think that can actually work really well in their favor. And they do seem to have changed their racing style a little bit. I, and perhaps that's the input of Magnus Backstead um, being more attacking, because I think in the past we'd often seen from Canyon Shram, it was more of a sort of wait and see tactic and it, it didn't really work mm. for them. And although, you know, they haven't had those really big wins this year. I don't think that represents the way they've been racing. I think they've been racing very aggressively. They've always been in them in the moves. Um, they've been potentially unfortunate in the final, uh, and it's not been for for want of trying. So I do think that we're we're kind of on the cusp of something really big there, and that's really exciting. You know, the talent of Boundfind coming through. She is going to be she's going to be one up there in the final of these races. In you know next year or in the next couple of years I, I absolutely believe it <laughs> and and what has been so great about watching Liège Best on Liège is seeing all of the other teams taking the race to SD Works I mean obviously at the end of the day SD Works still well they still won and <laughs> came <so> third <laughs> but um it was it was you know exciting because the teams were the other teams were taking the race to them and I know that I, I was seeing some of the interviews um, from yesterday, from you know the day before the race, uh, with Ashley Moolman, Passio, and uh, Avita Music, and they were both saying, you know, the way uh, they were asked the question about how do you beat Vollering, how do you beat SD Works, and they were saying, well, it's going to take all of the teams working together and you know working in unity to some uh, extent to to beat them. They didn't get beaten, but um, I guess it's the closest we've been to seeing their strength being dismantled isn't it really mm, you know there's a break, actually a, real a there's actually a whatsapp group with every team except for sd works on it <laughs> that's how it's being done <laughs> no but now we've said that there will be one for the next race 
<laughs> yeah, because yeah. we know we know that the Peloton, you know, has direct direct ears to the podcast and take our tactical advice uh, very literally. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it needed it needed to happen for the you know for everybody else's sake and also for the fans because you know we came off the back of Ronda Van Vlaanderen really quite disheartened, didn't we? We were kind of just like a big old deflated balloon, you know, that balloon that's been hanging around for three weeks, sitting in the corner of the living room, looking shriveled and a bit upset. Um, and <laughs> Oh, great. That's going to really, that really bring in the listeners. <laughs> but it was one race. And, you know, you're allowed to be disappointed by one race. And sometimes it takes, sometimes it takes some disappointment or something going wrong in order to incite change, doesn't it? And that does seem to have happened. You know, that race was such a disappointment. And I, I feel like it was a disappointment across the board for all teams. And since then, every single race has been explosive. And I mean, it's almost... Almost that every single race has almost still been won by SD Works, but it's still been yeah. really good to watch. Very exciting. And if not true, of course, EF Education, Tipco SVB winning Paris-Roubaix, um, Sylvia Persico winning Brabant's Pile. And so, you know, there's definitely been some step change in the attitude of other teams about how we approach and tackle these races. And despite the fact that the results don't necessarily reflect that, <laughs> that is 100% what we've seen. So going into this May block where we've got the Vuelta, um, um, you know, perhaps we'll see Anamik sort of come really back to the top in this race because we've got time trial uh, and stage race and that's more her sort of domain. Um, and then the May races in Spain, which which offer something different and also probably a different change of lineup as well, which is going to be interesting. I think the teams have got a bit more hunger in their bellies now. Uh, Liège, Basel and Liège will have shown what everybody can do and the gap to SD Works is small. It's not as big as it looks on paper. I, and I really believe that. It's just about tactically beating them and everybody working to, working together to beat them. <laughs> yeah, that, that, you did a great job of reinflating that uh, sad-looking <laughs> balloon. Sad balloon as in the corner of the room. <laughs> well, Lizzie, it's not too much longer till we'll be chatting again, actually, because uh, we've got our monthly uh, cycling podcast, Feminine, coming out um, this week where we'll be... Uh, looking back over the whole of the spring classic season and uh, dissecting it a little bit further um the winners um i.e sd works and the losers i.e everybody Everybody else Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah but um, i look forward to chatting to you um more then lizzie and uh, i'm sure the listeners will be excited to uh hear more from you as well thank you rose thank you